And welcome to those who are watching online this morning as we get into, I think it's week three of our walk through the Mark's Gospel. And welcome to those in the room as well. We are in our third week, as I just said, of our journey through Mark's Gospel, one of the four accounts of Jesus' life, the shortest, the most concise, gospel on steroids, as one commentator put it. And uh, we now hit uh, today the beginning of Jesus' ministry after he's been uh, through, he's had his baptism and his temptation or trial through the desert. And uh, my temptation this week was to stay in the desert and do another sermon on Luke's account and one of the other accounts of, of Jesus' temptations because I'm very familiar with it. I think it's a great passage, um, but I resisted temptation and we shall continue moving forward. The challenge that I've set myself for this year uh, is kind of to, to treat the text with the value it deserves and really try and do some, some study into what the message of Mark really is in each section. And that is because um, as Aussies in the 21st century, an English translation of Greek manuscripts, uh, with us being people who don't have a Jewish background, we don't have an understanding of the Hebrew Bible and Hebrew traditions um, and all, all of that stuff, there's so much gap between them then and us now and there's so much we miss. And so I'm really thankful that people who are much, much smarter than I am have taken time, have taken the time to explain the things that we need to know to really, really hear the word of the Lord for us today in this time, in, in this place. Uh, so a bit like last week, my goal uh, through today is to do some unpacking, uh, to kind of explain the test as best, as best I can, teach a little bit, and I'll try and go, well, we're not... First century Jewish people were 21st century Aussies. Uh, how do we maybe understand some of this? And uh, then to offer some reflection um, to encourage you to continue reflecting. What is the Lord saying to us? Um, something I'd like to bring back as a bit of a tradition as we walk through um, Mark's Gospel this year is to have someone else read the passage for us each week, kind of a Bible reading time. And uh, maybe you've been in church before, uh, a church before, where there's a response after the reading. Um, and I think this helps us to remember how important the Word of God really is. So uh, Evie, I believe, is going to read for us today. And when she says, this is the Word of the Lord, you all say, thanks be to God. All righty. So Evie, if you'd like to come and read for us, that would be great. Thank you. So I'm reading Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so, Father, thank you so much for the word of God in our hands, on our screen, available to us today. We, we don't take this privilege lightly, Lord, that we live in a... A time and a season in an era where 
your word through the scriptures has been passed on and down to us, preserved to us through many, many, many generations um, with resources available to us to understand and to bridge that cultural divide. And it's such a privilege to be able to have you speak to us, Lord, through these words. And so today as we come to them and to reflect on them, we open our hearts to receive this privilege you have given us, to receive uh, a word from your Holy Spirit, a a rhema word and a logos word, Lord, to understand a little bit more your heart for us, that you love us, that you call us, that you've chosen us, and you've equipped us to do your work. Lord, thank you that you're re-establishing a covenant relationship between you and your people. May we see that a little bit more this morning as we unpack your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. So this passage that Evie just read comes after Jesus has emerged from his testing in the wilderness. And uh, Luke says that he's full of the power of the Spirit. That's how, how it finishes. He comes out of the wilderness and Jesus was full of the power of the Spirit and uh, we see that his authority has been established and he's proclaimed this, this news and his purpose. Um, put that down a little bit, Martin. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. It's a big declaration and statement of this mission he has and what God is doing. The kingdom of God is near. They've been waiting for this. And the Gospels record the various events of Jesus' life Following this, now some of those events involve crowds of people swarming in to hear this message, and they bring their sick to Jesus to heal them. And he's he's on a mountain and he's preaching to a crowd, and he's doing these amazing things, and he's getting a name for himself. And there was boldness in this declaration. God's kingdom is near, and the Greek for that doesn't mean like God's kingdom is close, but not yet here. It means it's it's here. I've brought it here. God's reign, God's kingship has arrived. And he teaches these parables and these sermons that you probably know that these things that Jesus said have literally shaped societies in every age since. This man is the Messiah, the promised one of God. Now, people were waiting for this, this grand entrance of a a king. Hopeful that the Messiah would come with political might, he would overthrow the Romans, etc., etc. But one commentator on on uh, this passage, or Mark's Gospel, in, on Mark's Gospel, chapter one, says this: After the ringing announcement of verses fourteen and fifteen, that's the time has come, kingdom of God is near. We are prepared for stirring events of at least national, if not cosmic, importance. What we find is very different. Jesus wandering by the sea, bidding some common laborers to accompany him in a mission, on a mission. And this is the unexpected message of Mark's that Mark has for us. At the very beginning of this cosmic mission to save the world, kind of sounds like the Avengers or something. Jesus starts not with this kind of, I am here, come and hear me, hear me, whatever. He starts by simply calling out to a few ordinary people like you and me, come follow me. Hey, Simon, Andrew, come follow me. Maybe uh, your view of God uh, 
either recently or even through all of your, your walk with, with Jesus uh, has been that he's just really bu- busy dealing with the big global level stuff like the Middle East, uh, world poverty, Parliament House, whatever it might be. And that was supposed to be a joke. Um, and he's not particularly interested in you. He's, he, 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 he is interested in you and he loves you, but he's just got other things on his hands and he's kind of busy with all of that big stuff. Remember, Jesus, while he came to be our model, and he came to be our example and one we would, we would model a pattern our lives after, uh, he primarily came to reveal God to us. He primarily came to reveal who he called Abba, a, a personal term for Father, the Father to us, to show us what God is like. And so what does Mark highlight as kind of step number one in Jesus' grand mission to save the world? to establish God's kingdom, to transform humanity. Not this big, grand thing, but walk along the beach, call out to a couple of ordinary dudes working for the family business and say, hey, I'm choosing you. Come follow me. And um, I learned something this week studying, studying the text, that this was not typical of a, of a rabbi-disciple relationship. So the concept of being a disciple of Jesus, which you maybe have heard, you know, we are disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, it alludes to the Jewish dis- uh, rabbi-disciple arrangement. So in that kind of arrangement, you as a disciple, you learn from your teacher, your rabbi, you, you followed in his footsteps to ultimately become like him, to imitate him. Eventually, you would, you would seek to become a rabbi yourself, so you would try to do what he did. So that's, that's us and Jesus. Jesus is our rabbi. He's our teacher. He's the one whose who's dust from his shoes is in our face because we're walking closely behind him the whole time and seeking to say, how do you do things and, 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 and learn from him and imitate him and become like him. Our mission, therefore, is to live and love like Jesus. That's the relationship. But in the Jewish context, the disciple would choose the rabbi. It's a little bit like choosing the university you want to go to. Anybody chosen their university recently as to where they might go? So if you might only have one choice, but maybe depending on your course, depending on your scores... You might be able to choose to go there because they teach it that kind of way or that, that school is known for this kind of teaching or whatever. Um, or even you might go, well, am I going to go into a, a university degree? Am I going to go into a trade? Am I going to go to TAFE? Whatever, the, you, there's choices. You choose your teaching and your teacher. It's a little bit the same. If you've uh, not got the right scores from school, but if you've memorised the Hebrew Scriptures, you've gone through that Jewish training to learn the tradition, the culture and the Scriptures, you might choose a rabbi. But the scene here is different. Jesus saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. And this is a really fundamental element to the Christian faith. You didn't choose God First of all, he chose you, just like Simon and Andrew and then uh, James and John after, later in the passage. Jesus called out to us at some point in our normal life, maybe it was our family business or just whatever we were getting on with, like Simon and Andrew, and Jesus said, come walk with me. He chose us. 
And maybe that's the point that you're at right now where he's calling out to you and you're not too sure whether to respond or not. And I think most of us go through that, even when we have chosen to follow Jesus. It raises the question, why did Simon and Andrew literally just drop their whole lives, their livelihood, their family business, what brought them food on the table each day? Why did they drop all of that and just go follow Jesus? One theory is that there's evidence that they already knew him through the connection with John the Baptist. We read about John the Baptist, baptizer, a few weeks ago. Others say it was simply Jesus' authority. He had this kind of vibe, come follow me, and they kind of, they just like were drawn to him. Um, Maybe they'd been present or they'd at least heard about Jesus' baptism and, and it was like, wow, there's something going on with this guy. We ought to take up this opportunity. Either way, he wasn't just this ordinary guy and they knew that for whatever reason he was worth following. And so for the Christians in the room today, this morning, the disciples, the imitators of Jesus here, uh, the question I think I would ask myself and we should ask ourselves is do we ensure that it's made known that Jesus is worth following? Do we ensure that's made known that he's, he's worth following, that when he calls, it's not like, oh, yeah, cool, no, don't know who you are. It's like, yeah, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a call to respond to. I have to ask myself this question. Uh, is there anything different or is there anything about me that makes people go, you've got something, you, you're different. And is that because I carry the spirit of Christ in my very body? Yes, it is, it's, but that ought to be visible. Is there anything different people can see? I was listening to a podcast a couple of weeks ago and the speaker had a a really profound thought and insight. And uh, it was this, that Jesus, he challenged people deeply. He he didn't go around affirming people's lifestyle, saying, there, there, you're doing pretty well, you're doing your best. He he actually called out people for their sin. He, he, He set this really high bar not even just on sin, but on just on like well, really following God 100%. There was one guy who uh, said, came to Jesus and he said, I've obeyed all the commands of the law. I'm a really devout Jewish person. I've done everything right. Like, is there anything else? And Jesus said, good job, man. You've done well. Now just take all your possessions and go and sell all of it. Give it to the poor and then come follow me. That's not like... Well done, pat on the back, you're, you're doing pretty good. That's like high bar. And the guy went away sad. We're not talking about some rotten sinner. We're talking about a devout God-worshipping, God-fearing, serving person. Jesus challenged people to change, to turn from their sin. The, the, the biblical word is called repent, to turn away from sin towards God. He brought conviction. And so you would expect that he would just drive people away, right? That sinful people especially, people who they know there's something going on in their life that's not pleasing to God and is not honouring to other people, that they would kind of especially just say to Jesus, you're judgmental, you are holier, you are some holier-than-thou prude. How dare you, you challenge me on that? How dare you judge me? Because that's what happens today. If you suggest to people that they should consider addressing a flaw in their behaviour or their character, how dare you? You don't know my story. You think you're better than me? I mean, that's, that's the world we live in, right? 
What's amazing is that sinners loved hanging around Jesus. Not because he kind of just affirmed their lifestyle. He didn't. But they loved hanging around him. He called people to go and sin no more. The people he called to change their ways, they, they, would just, they wanted to hang out with him Some, somehow. How, did, how does this happen? And you see how cultural context in the world shapes our perspective of Jesus. We assume that because he hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes and singers, sinners and, and, and all of those kinds of people, he, he, that he must have accepted their sin because if, if, he, if people challenge you, they, that, that's hard. They, re, they reject that. No, no, no. Jesus called people to change in such a way that they sensed that somehow this is for my good. Somehow this challenge that this man is bringing into my life is, is, is a good thing. And I want to be around that because he loves me even though he completely disagrees with my lifestyle. And I want to suggest that that is the point of difference that what is attractive about Jesus' life. And that we too, as followers of Jesus, are to have. Not just a friendliness or a selflessness that people love to be around, but this kind of otherworldliness where you, your, your love for people leads you and them to change. Now, I feel like we have an advantage over Jesus in this regard, in a way. Uh, because we are deeply flawed. What I mean by that is that it can be a good thing that we don't have it all together. Have you ever thought about it this way? If you want people to see Jesus in you, in other words, if you want people to see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, the work of God in your life, and you want people to be drawn to that, to go, this God is doing something good, then positive change in your life will do that. And one of the big reasons I became a Christian was because I saw this friend of a friend who I, know, I knew that he used to be a rude, selfish git, basically, and he had become a selfless, kind, passionate follower of Jesus. And I kind of went, what's going on there? And I had, to, I had to find out about that. If you're already perfect, you've got nowhere to go. But if you're deeply flawed, like Cam here, <laughs> and me too, Good news. People are going to see the change in you as the Holy Spirit does his work. And this is what is so comforting about Jesus calling Peter and Andrew. It wasn't two highly trained, deeply righteous, devout Jews who knew all of the Old Testament scriptures off by heart or anything like that, who were just seeking out the best teacher to try to make their way to wherever. None of that. Jesus called them. He didn't launched into his mission on this grand stage with the crowd. He, but take, he just took an interest in a few ordinary people. One commentator says this, The kingdom of God comes not with fanfare, but through the gradual gathering of a group of socially insignificant people in an unnoticed corner of provincial Galilee. The parable of the mustard seed, which we'll read in chapter 4 a little later, will merely put into words what has been happening in practice from the first days of Jesus' ministry. The launching of a movement of ultimately huge dimensions, which yet in its beginnings is so unimpressive as to be barely noticeable on the world stage. You and I are unimpressive on our own. I mean, we are nothing special. One of seven billion people in the world 
And yet he takes an interest in us. We're special to him some, for some reason. He calls us to be part of a cosmic plan for the renewal of all things. And this still blows me away. But, and like Jesus, I just, I just want to invite other people to be part of that. To say, come follow Jesus. He'll make you fishers of people. So what is this, this fishers of people thing? It's an invitation to change. It's an invitation to an upgrade on life. You may really love fishing uh, or whatever your normal is. For Simon and Andrew, that was their normal. That was their life. What's your normal? You may love it. It may be comfortable. This, for them, was their, their, their uh, family business, their livelihood. But this opportunity was something else. This opportunity Jesus was giving them it was better and it was risky at the same time. So let's dig into this fishes of people thing. What does it mean to be fishes of people? I've got my uh, lovely fishing rod without a hook, so I'm not going to pluck anyone's eye out this morning. Fishing is an activity that separates the caught from the uncaught, right? And so from the fishers' perspective, it's better to be in the uncaught category. <laughs> you don't want to be plucked out of water to be eaten, I don't think, if you're a fish. Sometimes in the Bible, therefore, the fishing metaphor is, is used to denote judgment. It's used, you know, this kind of go and fish these people out because they, uh, they need to be punished for what they're, they're doing. Um, so the fishing people out is to be condemned like a fish being pulled out of water. But in the context of Jesus bringing good news to the world, I don't think that that is the case here. Jesus isn't saying, you're going to go fish for people, Simon and Andrew, so that I can end their life. No, that's not what he's saying. I'm, in fishing for people, the disciples will be removing people from judgment, not removing people for judgment. It's a rescue mission, is what he's talking about. And I think this back-to-frontness of the metaphor is significant. Most people, they don't want to be caught, just like fish. We, we are like the fish. Uh, you know, I'm happy in the sea, I'm living my own life, please don't take me out and eat me. Or in our case, I'm happy doing my own thing. God, please don't change that. Even if we see a hook, and we go, oh, that looks a little bit interesting. And then latch on. We kick and scream like a fish does until we're pulled out. And sometimes we pull away completely. Going, oh, thank goodness, I'm still safe in the sea. The difference here is that once we are pulled out from our old life, however much struggle that takes on our behalf and however much God has to gently pull us, wind us in. Once we are pulled out from our old life, we're not dead, we're rescued. We can recognise that it wasn't, you know, to continue with the fishing metaphor, that the sea of life on this earth and, and in this world is, is life and that open air equals death. It's the opposite. It's that this... This world, not, not this earth, I'm talking physically, but the, this culture, this world, this kingdom that we live in, that is spiritual death and that the kingdom of heaven is spiritual life that God pulls us into, he chooses us for. And so swimming around aimlessly in the sea of life, it seems great, it seems wonderful until we're pulled out into the reality of God's purpose for our lives and we realise that was nothing. And I think there's a really a brilliant connection here between the calling of Simon and Andrew when Jesus comes to them and says, I'm, I'm wanting to pull you out. I'm calling you to become fishers of people. The calling that they had, and then James and John a few verses later, and then the responsibility he gives them. 
says, I'm calling you out of your current reality, of your sea. And then you're going to do the same with other people. You're going to fish them out. You're going to call them out. I'm going to teach you how to do what I'm doing now. They're going to be drawn to you, wound into you gently because I have good news that you're going to carry. And so what do we learn that it means to live and love like Jesus in this passage? Firstly, we need to not be into some big flashy grand scale plan to change the world. Jesus' mission was huge. Jesus' plan for his church and for this world is huge. It's of cosmic importance and significance. But that is God's plan for the church, to be an agent of transformation, kingdom invasion in this world. It's worked out one person at a time. To love like Jesus is to take an interest in just one or max two people at a time. Jesus gave his attention to just two here and then two there. And we'll see during the rest of Mark's account that it stayed that way. That crowds came and gathered, yes, and powerful speeches were given, sure, but with just a handful of people by his side the whole time. Just a handful. And at the end, there were only a few left. Some of them, thankfully, were not too far away and they came back. But even that group was small. So that's the first thing. It's just one or two people at a time. Secondly, we learn that Jesus was someone that people wanted to follow, despite the fact that he called them to give up familiarity and to give up security. He called them to change in such a way that somehow they recognised this was a better offer. This offer you're giving me, Jesus, is better. So to love like Jesus is also to offer both an invitation and a challenge. Not to affirm where other people are, are at because otherwise we'd be affirming where we're at and God says he's transforming us into a masterpiece, continually working his way on us. An invitation and a challenge. A lifestyle that calls people to change in potentially uncomfortable ways. Think about how uncomfortable that might be to you to call others around you to change as you yourself commit to change, to be renewed, transformed by Jesus. The good news today, friends, is that Jesus says, I'll teach you. He doesn't say to Simon and Andrew, come, be fishers of people. See you later. He says, hey, I'm going to teach you. And by goodness, they needed teaching. I'm going to teach you to be fishers of people. I'm going to teach you to do what I've done. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you one step along the way. And the the, the story of Jesus is is exactly that. He does not uh, renege on that promise. He he, he fulfills that. He teaches them. I'm just making sure that wasn't my Siri going. (laughs) He goes one step at a time with them by his side so they can see, so they can learn. And I believe that's what Jesus wants to do for us this year, to teach us. Come, let me show you how to do what I do. Just this morning as we finish, I want to provide that opportunity for us to respond to this call, especially if you've not responded before, that to know that Jesus wants to take your life and he wants to deal with the stuff that doesn't honour God. But he wants to do that in such a loving, wonderful, joy-inducing way. 
an invitation and a challenge through which he will love you deeply. It's not an invitation to, the, to religion or to church or to rules. It's an invitation to a relationship that he is never, never going to pull out of. And so I just want to pray as we invite Jesus to be the Lord of our lives once again. Father, thank you so much that you sent Jesus to teach us how to live. Jesus, thank you that you are willing to hold us by the hand as we take each step along this journey. When we get it wrong, you you gently correct us. When we don't know what to do, you show us. And thank you that in all of this, there's so much more fulfilment in living a life where we follow you than in just swimming through the sea of life. And Father, I just want to pray for those who may be making a choice to follow you for the first time. That the feelings of nerves and and, uh, not being sure when you call them would be overridden by a deep sense of purpose in following you. I thank you for the privilege that we all have as followers of Jesus to keep growing, keep being moulded by you. And I pray we would not forget that you teach us continually what that looks like and how to do that as our rabbi, but also as our father. In Jesus' name, amen. So a couple of questions for discussion today. As I've mentioned in the last few weeks, we're going to do a little of this uh, from time to time. It's essentially just those, it ties in with those two last points I had on the screen about uh, just one or two people who you might be called to love and then what about you? How is God forming you? So one or two people who you feel you can love towards Jesus in this season, who might they be? Friends, colleagues, neighbours, family? And, uh, and then what about you? How can you unconditionally love them while still calling them to turn from sin and towards Jesus? So who's one or two people who come to mind? How's God want to do that through you? How does God want to change you? And then if you're comfortable with whoever you're talking with, just pray for those people together. All righty? So we'll give that a few minutes. Uh, turn to somebody next to you. You can be in a group of two or, th- or three if you need to and uh, discuss those.